Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. We are back from Nashville with a tan, probably, maybe. No. Nobody nobody tan. That's a very fair-skinned bunch here, actually. Yeah, I, I barely went nobody, outside. Nobody's tan. All right. The, the sun is dangerous to everybody in this room. <laughs> well, there's not as much sun in Nebraska as there was in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, it was true. raining when we left. Yeah. it's Things are looking up around here, though. Oh, well, that's good. All right. Well, we're back. There's been a lot that's happened in the last uh, eight days, I think. We, we last spoke with you, the listener, on Tuesday. And in that time, there's been transfers. There have been quarterback transfers, not from Nebraska, but potentially to Nebraska, but probably not. There's been a commitment. There's new coaches. We hung out in Nashville with a bunch of sports writers, and it went exactly how we thought it would. Where do we start, guys? Probably not with the sports writer's wardrobe in Nashville. <laughs> it was pretty on point. That was the one time in my life when I was in a room and I felt like I was as good a dresser as anybody. That rarely happens. You, you walked in the room and you're like, these are my people. Yeah. It's was it like, the guy wearing sweatpants that tipped you off to this? That, and it's like, look at that guy's khakis. They're wrinkled. Look at that guy's <laughs> shirt, also wrinkled. Oh, there's a stain on it. It's like 100, and he doesn't care. 143 people were in the same polo. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, – I kind of figured that was happening, and I plan to never wear that polo when I know another 24-7 sports person is around. So we'll have to, to take turns on that. For well, We coordinated the hat thing well because we all have the same hat too. <laughs> yeah, 24 24- – show up to a practice all wearing the same polo and hat? Just wearing the uniform? Just confuse the hell out of everybody? Will look like the like henchmen in like a futuristic space movie. <laughs> Some bad henchmen. Or like yeah. we just got done playing tennis. The hats, <laughs> the hats. We all got these hats, and we they're nice. Twenty four seven sports hats, but it, we would agree they're kind of like the tennis style hat, like you would see a coach at, in the second row at Wimbledon, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah, they're the very light, uh, dry fit hats. Yeah. They don't quite fit to your head how maybe you would hope. But they're they're fine. I'm wearing it. I don't hate it. I, I like it when you turn it around though a little bit. When I when you when you wear it backwards. Okay. Do, should I switch for yeah. the rest of the podcast? Yeah. yeah. There you go. We need to rally. Uh, we're we're now backwards for those watching on the the video cast. There you, go. you look like a doubles player now. Yeah. <laughs> Leighton Hewitt. That's yeah. what they uh, that's what they call me over on the racquetball courts. So, all right. Well, we are. Certainly not anywhere where we need to be. No. Let's get into the topics of interest. Just start with uh, one Joe Burrow announced on Tuesday that he will be leaving Ohio State. This is relevant to Nebraska fans, if only because Joe Burrow was probably the second most discussed quarterback in the spring amongst those on Nebraska's roster. Uh, even though he wasn't on Nebraska's roster and may never be on Nebraska's roster, Joe Burrow leaves Ohio State. Give me your thoughts. I don't think he's coming here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move <laughs> and on. Segment. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a, a particularly bold take, as I think none of us. No. I don't know. I can't speak for Bronze. I, I agree with you. I, I also think, agree. Yeah. One of the one of the things we heard down in Nashville. I think you talked with some Ohio or some Ohio State people. I did as well. Uh, that this move was coming, and Nebraska was no longer one of the schools at the time. I mean, in the spring. Joe Burrow leaves Nebraska slam dunk. I mean, that was kind of the way that it had been described. That was what people were sort of expecting. And that is not what is going to come to fruition. And I think that says a lot about what Nebraska saw in the spring amongst its quarterbacks. I think it says a lot about what Adrian Martinez showed specifically in the spring game. If Joe Burrow had only one year of eligibility instead of the very rare two years, I think he would make a lot more sense for Nebraska uh, to, to bring him in and, and have him go against Tristan Jebbia and Adrian Martinez and Andrew Bunch. You add some quarterback depth that way, but you don't really stunt the growth of anybody. You don't risk transfers if it's only a one-year thing. But this is a two-year move, and it just doesn't, to me, with what we saw out of the quarterbacks, with what we've heard from Verduzco and from Frost, it just doesn't, to me, line up that that would make a lot of sense for what they're trying to build. Yeah, especially – you know, this is a year where they can afford to win six or seven games, and it's fine. You know, it's year one. 
it's not like you're that one quarterback away from winning a national championship or winning the Big Ten. And so I, I think it's more beneficial if a year from now you're talking about either Adrian Martinez or Tristan Jebbia and they've played a year of snaps. And also the other part of this, I always hear this thrown out like, oh, if Joe Burrow comes, you know, that's an extra win or something. We don't know that. Well, I mean, we don't Joe, really know we anything don't, about it. We don't. I'm, this is not dogging on Joe Burrow. He just hasn't played a lot at Ohio State, and you like his experience, but there's no given that Joe Burrow would even win the job if he came here. I would not say that straight up because I think they really like the guys they have, and I think if coaches were candid about it, they would say the same thing. Like, I, there, there would be, is he better than what they have? That's a valid question to ask too. The well, the. If you bring in a guy that's a two-year starter like that or two, has two years after the transfer, I mean, you, you kind of are not explicitly saying it, but kind of saying it, that this is going to be your guy for two years. I mean, that that's kind of what the message sends. I mean, and, and there's probably a balance between we want to bring in guys to increase competition and, you know, the best guy is going to win that job. But I think the quarterback position in itself is a little bit different in that, the, the rules of, you know, that group don't apply to, you know, in the same way that they would if you're like an offensive tackle or a linebacker or something like that. And, and I, I think, too, what I've picked up, or and, and you guys can disagree with me on this, but Scott Frost has a lot of confidence in his ability to develop quarterbacks in the way that he wants to develop them. He has a lot of confidence in Mario Verduzco and, and his ability to get the most out of quarterbacks and develop them. And I, I think in this situation where you have patience and you have an opportunity to build a program the way you want to build it, I think it makes sense to take the long view. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you bring in Burrow for two years. I mean, where are you at that point? It, it's I think it makes it more difficult for you, too, to recruit quarterbacks when you've got – this guy who's kind of the presumed two-year starter as a grad transfer, plus Adrian Martinez right behind him, Tristan Jebbia right there as well. Um, and, I mean, and Noah Vedrill's in the mix too at some point. So I, I think it just it muddies the waters in a way that I don't think you have to do it. Yeah, and now you could argue, well, are they thin at that position this year? And they're – a little thin, but not any more than almost most programs in the country. I mean, like that 90, 1994 season. Yeah, we brought that up a few <laughs> times, but I, but I, there, I don't think that's going to be a problem with this year. I mean, I, I think if if you felt like you only had one guy and you didn't have a good backup, then maybe you think about it um, and you let two guys go compete. But you you feel like you have at least two guys, maybe three, and it's not a problem. Masker is coming in as a walk on for a fourth body. Um, it's a good setup. I won't get into the 94 thing again. I've already went over that ground, but, um, I do, I do think, um, it's all set up. And then when you consider like Michael was saying, Braun or Vedral coming in, I mean, next year and being eligible to play it, it, it's all lined up for him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I want to update the the listeners at home that aren't able to watch on the video cast, Brunts turned his hat backwards for a few moments and then switched back to a forward hat. Brunts, can you explain? I, I'll probably go back and forth several times throughout the podcast based on just, you know, feeling out the situation. Did it was it just not comfortable in those few seconds or I, I did I did it without thinking. <laughs> was it when he was talking? Uh so <laughs> before he spoke he turned it he talked, and then you were talking, and I, I had looked at him, and I was made the note that I was going to bring this up. Looked at you as you were talking, looked back, and it was forward again. I'm not. I, I don't think I'd ever noticed it before, but now I'm going to count. How that was a sign to me: don't go back into the '94 quarterback situation. <laughs> that was like a nonverbal cue. Could have been. <laughs> it, it certainly could have been. Well, I flipped it, and then I also did the throat slash gesture <laughs> when he started to go down that road. Doesn't that just mean you've had it up to here? Isn't that what the yeah. Around here, that's what we know the throat yes. slash to be. Yes. So, all right, let's jump from Joe Burrow to Ben Miles. Ben Miles has Damn, I know I'm thinking about it. The hat? Yeah, I was going to go like this, but then you're going to give me shit about it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't know that it was like a nervous tick for you. It is. Sorry. Ben Miles 
has announced his transfer from Nebraska. Not a big surprise. I think that Ben Miles is going to be a, a good player, a good fullback where he goes. The offense was not going to do him any favors here in Lincoln. Not sure there's a ton more um, beyond that, but do you guys have any thoughts on the Ben Miles departure? Do you think that he could have stayed a year to see how he could have been used? Or... No, nah, I mean, I, I think the coaches were pretty upfront with him and his situation that it's just not a fit, and that's not because you're not skilled, and sometimes just schemes don't match up with the guy. And if, I feel bad for the player in this situation. These are the examples where I wish a guy could transfer and get a free transfer and, and yeah. play right away. Like I, re- I really do. Agree. Like the, and you should be able to look at a situation like that, use common sense, and say this is completely because this kid just doesn't fit at all with what they're doing. But he, you know, let him play. So th- that's kind of my thought on the whole matter. It, it, he would have been a good special teams guy. I mean, and that this is a staff that's going to care a whole lot about that. So you lose him and. You know, the the fullback thing, people are just going to have to move on from it. It's not happening in this offense. Anybody who watched Central Florida play knew that wasn't going to happen, yet we've brought it up a bunch of times because it's a popular thing to do here. But, I mean, that that's just not the way they play. I kind of felt bad for him. I mean, you're, you're sitting there with a new staff in the middle of spring, and you have three coaches basically flatly say that the position that you recruited to come here and play is dead. Like – I, I can't imagine that the conversation with Scott Frost was too long in his office after the spring about, you know, what, what his future is in the program. Well, think about his three-year stretch. He's a senior in high school. His dad gets fired from LSU. He comes to Nebraska. He's a freshman at Nebraska, redshirting. Mike Riley gets fired, and now he's transferring. Like, it's a – it's not really three years, but two and a half. I mean, that's a an interesting stretch of time for somebody. And as Brian says, that. The downside of this, and one of the things that I hope that they rectify with the NCAA, I really think guys should get a free transfer before their junior year, and this would be one of the reasons why. I mean, he he's going to sit out two full years before he plays a football game should he go the FBS level, which he absolutely should because he's an FBS player. I mean, he shouldn't have to go down. He shouldn't have to go to JUCO. There's no questions about whether he can play or not. It's just that because he chose a school that no longer runs an offense that fits him, he has to sit out a second full year after redshirting. It's kind of a, it's a Tanner Lee situation. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, I'll be curious if he gets gets a year back. The only thing I'd say about guys like Ben Miles, and this is nothing against his skill set, but I would think this staff, not obviously they're not looking for fullback specifically, but if they're looking for guys like him in special teams and stuff, I think they'll just say, we can get those guys as walk-ons in state. We're not going to use a scholarship on that. And I liked when they brought him in, so I'm not going to badmouth the last staff because I think I might even add him on my Super 6 because I think he was that type of a – A lot of people had him as sleeper. Yeah, I think he was a a really good player. I do think you could make the argument, though, that there are guys within state who you could develop and by their third year or whatever could fill fill that role. We've seen it. I mean, we've seen it with – with Jano, we've seen it, you know, with Luke McNid, and uh, you could go back 20 years with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's just a situation where Nebraska um, needs scholarships. He needs an offense that probably fits him better. It was the right move for both sides, and he's not going to be alone. I mean, there's going to be other guys that are going to be leaving the program. I mean, we don't have any specific departures, I guess, at this point, unless you count Twitter bios with one Brian Brokop listing himself as a former Nebraska Cornhusker. Uh, I don't know what that means for his football career, if he's looking to go somewhere else, if he's just being funny online. I mean, we haven't had any – it hasn't been verified that he's off the roster at this point. I think that there's other people likely to leave the program here in between the rest of this spring and the start of fall camp and the end of July. So there's, there's going to be more attrition. There's already been a few people. I – Kind of guess that the number would be right around eight. That's kind of where I'm leaving it at now. My Twitter bio, by the way, I changed a line at the end of it last week. I don't yeah. know if you noticed it. I haven't. What's I said, it yep, that sweet 04 Corolla is mine. So if there was any like doubt out there that I was switching cars before the winter, I'm not. So that clears that up. The stats department can confirm that change. It's there. <laughs> wow. 
stats department See, that's quick today. Twitter bios are, they tell a lot. Bruns, do you have anything in your Twitter bio that's exciting? No, I don't. I don't. It was, uh, I realized that I probably need to change my photo at some point because it's getting a little old. Yeah. Um, and going back to the sports writer, whole blue get together thing uh, last week in Nashville, it was kind of jarring to see some people in person who you only see on Twitter because they might be using, you know, photos that were a little old. That's all. <laughs> and then I did some self reflection and realized that I might be the same. Mine's so, relatively fresh. It's, it's from February. It's so. sort of like a blind date situation where <laughs> <laughs> someone looks a certain way and Exactly. A little false advertising by Bronze. He's, is, u- he's using his hoof. Nobody beat, knew who he was. His in hoof beat column picture from his Miller North days. No, that you would know if it was that because the <laughs> frosted tips would be a dead giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> what was the photo that you used for press passes in the past that was from like a golf course for your PGA thing? Well, I for a while was using my daily Nebraska column picture oh, on my uh, NSAA pass, which I believe is. Approaching 14 years of age now. Yeah, I'm using a my NSAA one is a photo from 2009, so I'm in that territory too. Yeah. If you send in a request for for me of anything, you should send in the old DN picture. <laughs> There's a DN drawing. People can try to look it up. I don't know what they'll have to search to find it, but the, they they drew like cartoon pictures of us for our. Yeah, we, we've we've actually discussed on this show. I found yeah. the one. Yeah. Can I send that one. No, 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 I think that's what the drawing is based off of, though, maybe. It yeah. looks like it might be, but they made my neck exceptionally long, but I think you should send that one. It's a wide collar you got on there. No, oh, it was a different time. <laughs> I think that was, it's a very fashionable collar at the time, back in... Is that Massimo? No. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is. I was trying to think of the brand it was, just as you were, it's Ma- it was Massimo. Yeah, there's the picture. Nice. Yep. This is too bad we don't have. Video yeah, this, is, of that. this makes great radio. I'll yeah. post it in the uh, the thread, okay. so people can see the photo and judge for themselves. <laughs> uh, so we covered Miles, we covered Burrow. Anything else we need to, to get at? Mentioned Brokop. More Brokop. Nebraska got a commitment. Oh, they yeah. added their second running back in the class in Ramir Johnson from New Jersey. Committed on Saturday. He actually committed before that, but he announced it on Saturday. And it's a good get for Nebraska. This is a guy that I think when you extrapolate and look at Nebraska's – or extrapolate is not the right word. When you project and you look at Nebraska's offense, this isn't a guy that's going to get 18 to 20 touches a game. But what he's going to get is the 10 to 12 touches that could really change things. I mean, this is a guy that I think with his speed and his ability to get him on the edge, and he can go through the tackles too. He's got home run potential. You're going to use him a lot in the run-pass option sets. You're going to use him as a receiver out of the backfield. He's going to be a running back playing the duck R position uh, quite a bit. And they've talked about how they've had wide receivers they feel good about putting in that spot, but they want running backs too. And that's where Ramir Johnson comes in. I just He's going to have some plays where he flips the field, where he gets not only a first down, but he picks up big chunk yardage, moves the ball. I mean – all of the issues Nebraska had last year in terms of inability to get chunk plays, somebody like Ramir Johnson can do two to three times a game out of his eight to 12 touches, and it's going to be a big deal. And so he's, he's never going to be a 1,000-yard back. He's probably never going to have double-digit touchdowns. But he's going to have an impact in games because of how he can be used. Mike, let's talk running backs. Um, so you've got Ramir Johnson. You have Thomas Grayson. Mm-hmm. You have Greg Bell. Yes. You have Maurice Washington. How, I guess, have you been surprised at how quickly Nebraska's been able to reshape things in that room? Because, I mean, you, it's been six months, five months, and that room looks a heck of a lot different than it did um, at the end of the last season. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do here is to point at the two head coaches – and the value system that they put on running back. You point at what Mike Riley did at the end of his tenure at Oregon State and here at Nebraska, they didn't assign much value to running back. It wasn't a valuable position to them in the same way that quarterback, receiver, even offensive line. I mean, you look at how they recruited those versus how they recruited running back. You look at Reggie Davis versus Ryan Held in terms of how they go about recruiting. 
it's night and day and, and that's not even trying to be disparaging to anybody but Oregon's success UCF success started with having deep versatile running backs that you get in and off the field in different situations so it's not a surprise to me at all that that was an area that had to be overhauled I mean Nebraska used to be very good and very deep at running back and then hit kind of a stretch here in recent years where it was neither and maybe the injury to Trey Bryant changed that a little bit because he looked like he could have been on his way to having the best season of a running back for the Mike Riley tenure at least but I just I I felt like they had to overhaul that room they've certainly done that and I don't think they're done yet either I think they're going to take another running back in this class that'll give them three because I think there's enough difference between if they go get somebody that's more of a durable, you're going to give him the ball, or he's going to get, you know, 15 to 18 touches. Thomas Grayson's different than Ramir Johnson. I mean, I, I think they've just figured out that they have to have all of those sort of pieces for the ingredients of their running back room, and they didn't have that when what they inherited. Did we talk about this on the, on the podcast, or was it somewhere in Nashville where we were talking about um... – just Nebraska's running back room is going to, to me, is going to look really similar to, you know, Oregon, where it was like, yeah. you're going to get to the end of a game. You're going to, we talked about this on the podcast, right? Where it's like, you're going to look at touches, you're going to look at yardage, and nobody's going to have numbers that blow you away, but the total is going yeah. to stand out. And there's going to be yeah. like, you know, as an opposing media member is going to look at that, that, that stat list. And see like three names, or you're like, oh, who the hell is this yeah, guy? And he's got yeah. 12 touches for 70 some yards. That should be the goal of like any great program. I mean, if you think about Alabama football, you you'll know a few of their top guys who are going to be first round draft picks every year. But they have guys who are getting drafted that I don't honestly know their names, and I watch a lot of college football because they've just got they build up so much depth at all these spots that guys almost become anonymous. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a great program, that's what you are basically. You've got maybe one or two headliners, but everybody just kind of fits into the machine and uh, is a cog, and and you just keep throwing them at people, and you're fresher than the other guy, and that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, those really good Oregon teams, we think of Royce Freeman now, but... And you think of Jonathan Stewart, in between those two, there's a lot of very good running backs, but they were, you know, the Tony Michael James or the, I mean, they're, they're guys that were just part of the, as Brian said, they were cogs in the machine. And they were good, but they didn't jump out to you the way that the usage rate of Royce Freeman does now or any other running back, the way Michigan State will pick one guy and give him 600 carries in a season kind of thing. I mean, it's just a different. I sometimes feel that way when Nebraska, before they're playing Ohio State, when you're writing about their team. Like, they're one of those examples of a team where I like, I don't really know that guy, and he's probably going to be a second-team All-Big Ten or something, you know? <laughs> um, it's funny you say that because the comparison that two different people inside the company have given me about Ramir Johnson is they think that he is a little less explosive version of Curtis Samuel. Jeez, that's and that's a huge. I mean, I would like to be a little less explosive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's a huge compliment um, from people that have seen him play in person, that and is. so that uh, was surprising to me because that wouldn't have been the comparison that I would have made. Um, I don't know if I have a direct one. I, I just look at Ramir Johnson; he makes me think of a lot of Pac-12 running backs, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Curtis Samuel, I mean, did the same. You line him up at running back, he flexes out the receiver. I can still remember poor Aaron Williams trying to cover him out of the slot yeah. multiple times. I can remember Curtis Samuel giving Jim Harbaugh and Michigan absolute fits that year uh, when they, they blew out Nebraska in a few weeks later for basically the Big Ten East. Uh, they had to win that game. Or the Michigan had to win that mm-hmm. game and win it overtime. And they couldn't stop Curtis Samuel, and he did it from all over the field. I don't know if Ramir Johnson's going to be that good. But if that's the sort of usage, I mean, that's a dynamic player. I've got one more question slash topic that connects to Ramir Johnson. He's from Oradell, New Jersey. and He's from where? New Jersey. Yeah. And 
Obviously, Nebraska's got a great history there. If you go and look at some of the players, it's incredible. The list. Of I guys. need to get technical. He's from Brooklyn. He plays in New Jersey okay. for high school, but no, it's you're roughly. Re- you are throwing cold water all over. No, nah, I mean it. You can <laughs> buckets of cold water. Just refer to it as now, players from high schools in New Jersey, and it's fine. Okay, he goes to a high school in New Jersey, and then he takes a train. <laughs> um, actually, I mean it's a pretty cool story. So yeah. He, uh, I'm trying to think of just how it goes. Basically, he takes a train to the Bronx, catches a ride from a teammate from the Bronx. He has to go to a specific corner, catches a ride from a teammate from the Bronx to Orange, New Jersey to go to this high school. That is a good story. That's how I picture anybody from Brooklyn getting anywhere. Something <laughs> like that. Trains and cars. <laughs> yeah, like there's multiple stops rides, along yeah. the way. But, of course, you know the question I'm leading to is, you know, can should they, can they, is it worth their time investing there? Area. And they've got somebody in Mike Dawson who could do that, I guess. Yeah, Mike, Mike Dawson, um, you know, I probably didn't give him enough credit on Saturday when this commitment happened. He was a point man early on with Ramir Johnson because of um, Javante Jean-Baptiste and the relationship that was built there. Ramir has a has a good relationship with Dawson, but that pivoted pretty quickly over to having a good relationship with Held and Frost and all of that. But Mike Dawson has been definitely shaking the trees out in the Northeast. I mean, they've made far more offers in that part of the country this cycle already than what I can remember. I mean, maybe Brunt's is that overspeak or is that but they've made more of an effort there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that they've they've made a heck of a lot more offers in the Northeast. Yeah. Well, and it's not that they haven't made an effort before. I mean, they've they've tried to get guys out of the Northeast, but they haven't had they haven't been as successful. You had a run where John Papuchas was pretty good in Maryland, but you haven't you just haven't had that sort mm-hmm. of success in and they still need to get better at it. I mean, one commitment there doesn't make it a pipeline by any means, but I do think that they can be successful in New Jersey and Massachusetts and Pennsylvania to an extent. Winning is going to help that if, if winning allows you to become more of a national brand. But you throw in the rich history of the Garden State in Nebraska, it's pretty good. Yeah. I wanted to write a little bit more about it, but I, I do think you have to be smart in that state because you've got a lot of, I mean, Penn State, Ohio State can all go up there, and you've got some East Coast schools. You're gonna. It's not an easy thing to do. It is a state you can move around pretty quickly. In coaches have said where you can get from one school to the mm-hmm. other. So if you've got targets, you can make it an efficient visit to New Jersey. But um, so it's 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 all. I know fans get excited whenever they get a guy from there, just because there's such a list of connected to Husker. Going all the way back to Rich Glover. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean. You've got Dawson there. You know, Frank Verducci he's kind of an interesting part of that, too. I mean, he's coached in New Jersey. He's well-known around the, the Northeast. Um, you know, just his connections, too, I think will help them identify guys that, you know, everybody's going to recruit the Javante Jean-Baptiste who is, you know. Except everybody wasn't recruiting. Right. But That's I mean, the thing. That level of recruit, though, where, like, Penn, when, Penn when State. When they get identified as that. Right. But, you know, if, if there's a guy that's – you know, a, a 2020 kid that's, you know, going to blow up. I mean, those types of connections help you to get a foot in where you're in a Javante Jean-Baptiste situation a little bit. So, I mean, they have the opportunity there. I, I, they're never going to pull five guys a year out of there, but I think you can find some pretty darn good athletes. We also shouldn't discount the fact that for a couple of years you had Greg Austin, Eric Shenander, and Mike Dawson all in Philadelphia. And they know that area. I mean, I... Philly has never been an area where Nebraska that I can recall has pulled players. I I mean I don't know if I could name you one former Philadelphia I can't starter for Nebraska, but that there's a lot of talent in that area, and it helps that you have these coaches a little bit synonymous with the Eagles. They know that area; they're going to have some connections there. I'm curious if they can because they've offered. I mean they've offered five to seven guys out of that region alone, or not region, but that city. Um, maybe this is, they can cash in on that a little bit. Maybe not. Darrell Pippins, he was a Philadelphia guy. Was he? Yeah. Maybe my favorite Husker as a kid was from New Jersey, so that's why I'm probably so fascinated with this. Who was that? Baron Miles. Gotcha. Yeah. Big Baron Miles fan. 
I think there's a lot of people my age who, like, if there's a was guy... Was it because of his, like, punt blocking? Yeah, that was, See, a, that's big, what he was, that was a big part of it. He was Well, I mean, go watch, like, the 95 Orange Bowl, and Nebraska doesn't win that game if they don't have a corner, like, with the guts of Baron Miles out there one-on-one. But, yeah, I think what started it was that block punt. He blocked a punt on a Thursday night game against Oklahoma State where he just swallowed it in for a touchdown, and it really captured the imaginations of 12-year-olds across the yeah. state who were doing it in the backyard the next day. <laughs> I mean, I, I think what you're describing is why a lot of people also remember very fondly Terrell Farley for all of his well, plays of similar nature. Felt like that guy scored a touchdown a game somehow as a defensive player. That's your walk down memory lane. Yeah. Well, uh, we don't have to go down memory lane, but we can go back to Nashville where one Michael Brunts caught up with director of scouting Barton Simmons, who spoke about Scott Frost and sort of his thoughts on Frost heading back to Nebraska to take over the program. We're uh, joined by 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Barton Simmons. Uh, I believe you were our second guest on the podcast. It only took 90 three episodes to get here but here we are uh thanks for joining us we're, we're talking earlier about kind of scott frost and, and the excitement ab- around the program right now uh you're you know unabashedly on the frost train um just i guess generally why what what kind of has you excited with that fit for for frost in nebraska i'm i'm loud and proud on the scott frost train and I, i've been sort of yelling it um and I, I don't know i think there's a lot of reasons why i've i've had this real confidence in him. I think I think he's a I think he's an incredibly authentic person. Like I I'll be honest, I'm I'm as impressed with Scott Frost in the things that he says and the way he approaches his job as I am with sort of what we've seen on the field. Um I I think that that you know, kids are getting more um savvy. I, I think kids see through um inauthentic in inauthenticity uh they see authenticity uh and, and i think scott frost is you know he, he he sort of practices what he preaches he is what he is i think he's got a great um approach to coaching a great approach to understanding how to build something um and and you know my, my coach in college always said you know to take the um don't take the easy way, you know, take the hard way. And, you know, it's more, it's, it's, it's the better way. And I think Scott Frost kind of gets that. Um, so, you know, that, that just sort of who he is as a person is what really has me optimistic about what he's going to bring to Nebraska and has me, you know, when he talks about bringing in the, the walk-on program back, like I'm not from Nebraska. I've never even been to Lincoln, Nebraska, but I understand what that means to that program and what it, it has meant to that program. Um, I think, you know he's he's just a guy that that for lack of a better word and, and using a cliche phrase he, he gets it and um and he he also gets that he's look when you look at what um Dabo Sweeney's doing right now at Clemson um and and you look at what Nick Saban's doing at Alabama and and you sort of you know you appreciate Dabo's willingness to do it his way uh, I think that there's a Scott Frost way uh, that's that's still out there, and um, I, I I feel I don't know I'm 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 pretty optimistic and pretty confident that there's going to be a lot of success there under him. So um, you know I don't know that's 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 my nutshell take on him from a, not even from a football side, but just from a uh, from an approach, uh, a personality, and and a um, just a, an authenticity side. I mean, look to me like. That means something that Scott Frost uh, takes his entire staff from UCF. Um, Tom Herman, you know, he, he took his took most of his staff from Houston to Texas as well. Texas as well. Um, but we've seen it happen recently, where uh, Jim McElwain at Florida, he cut, leaves Colorado State, took like one guy, and and I think that we've sort of, I look, Jim McElwain's problem it was. His personality, his persona, like that's what got him in trouble. That's what got him fired. And I think that when you, you know, when you're more than just talking and things like that, um, are, you know, you take actions that reflect who you are, like Scott Frost has done, I think, on numerous occasions. Like I think that that's just a great indicator of what's to come. 
when you kind of start looking at, you know, coaching transitions, I mean, you, you had a, a pretty active carousel this past year, um, you know, Florida, Tennessee. You mentioned kind of what, what Dabo's done at Clemson and, and kind of having – is there kind of like an it that, that almost you can tell that, that something's going to work where, you know, you have a different fit with, you know, Mike Riley at, at Nebraska obviously didn't work. Uh, you know, Nebraska's kind of done these fits and starts things the last, few, you know, couple times around that just didn't seem to fit. But – I mean, does Frost just kind of have that it, I guess, at Nebraska that you kind of look for? Yeah, I mean, I think he – I absolutely believe that he does and on, a, on a few fronts. I mean, one, of course he's – like, Scott Frost, when he talks and when you see him go and he meets the, the former players and when they welcome him to that program, I mean, there, it's – it's like, that kind of goes without saying that culturally he fits. Um, and, and, and I think – there's almost this sort of misconception that like Nebraska can't be this sexy wide open offense in the past. They've got like that, that Nebraska football has to mean like hard nose downhill three yards in a cloud of dust football. But I, I think that's sort of a, a complete misconception. I think what, what Scott Frost is bringing to Nebraska in that spread option offense is what Nebraska used to be. They used to be fast. They used to be. They used to have a system that was unique that they ran better than anybody else, and so I think Scott Frost, in bringing that system to Nebraska, that's a fit. Like, the 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 spread and the option is a fit, and I, and I also think it's a fit in terms of being able to like another knock on Nebraska is, well, how can you recruit skill to Lincoln? Well, how could you recruit skill to Eugene? Like, that you can re, you can find skill you can find speed and and you can find speed where other people don't and so there's to me like the, the cultural fit again is 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 uh, goes without saying but I think that in a lot of ways people you know the speed the speed aspect of that offense and and the and the sort of necessity of bringing guys in that can can get loose in space like that's that's something you can find. What what Nebraska has, and what the Midwest has, and what Nebraska appeals to, is some some homegrown physical guys that can kind of deliver that that brand as well. So I think that you know it, it's a great fit, and I think that offense, along with that culture, along with that personality, works. Um, and so uh, you know, I'm not I'm not predicting uh, you know college football playoffs this year, but I I'm Look, if, if if this doesn't work, I will be shocked. A big part of that, and you know, Nebraska has a a quarterback competition ongoing right now. You've got Adrian Martinez in there, uh, Andrew Bunch, a guy that you're familiar with from from down here as well, uh, near Nashville. Uh, Tristan Jebbia, another highly ranked guy who you know maybe doesn't fit the offense per se, but you know I, I think could probably run it a little bit. Uh, kind of your your thoughts on those three guys, and I mean, it seems like. When, when you're wanting to make this transition and, and turn it around quickly, I mean, finding the right guy at that quarterback spot, especially in this offense, is, is probably priority number one for them. Yeah, it's, it, I would think it's priority number one for sure. But, um, like, I don't know, Scott Frost made a comment, maybe even to Dennis Dodd at, at CBS, about, like, um, hey, I don't think we'll necessarily be scrounging for a grad transfer. I think, you know, we, we got some pretty good options where we are. And uh, I think that's – that speaks to sort of what's going on there. Like that's, I think you just want options. You want, op, you know, you want guys that can, um, can compete. And you've got Tristan Jebbia, who's by all accounts, a, a gym rat as a quarterback. And this was just kind of what they've missed a little bit lately, I guess. And, and uh, I mean, that's a kid that is, you know, if he's the guy, then you can, you can function with that. Like you can, you can have success with that. A guy making the right decisions. The guy's got enough athleticism to, to threaten things, but maybe not going to scare people, but he's making the right decisions and he's handling his role as the quarterback of the team in the right way. Then you have Adrian Martinez, who's, who is that athlete who showed that athleticism in the spring game, who is probably the future at the position. And, and then Andrew Bunch, a former walk-on who's, you know, who's, who's found the hard way to Nebraska, who is what? Like, that's exactly what Nebraska needs. Like, they need these gritty guys who have been through a lot and are going to keep on grinding and fighting. And so that's a great quarterback room. I mean, yeah, there's there's Ohio State's quarterback room's better. I, 
from a talent perspective, but if you're Nebraska in year one, desperately searching for a quarterback, that's a great quarterback room to to uh, to inherit and well and to recruit because they got Martinez. But I mean, I think you feel good about that and and have some confidence in in what those guys can bring to you because look, I don't think those guys are going to win the Heisman, any of them. Um, but I, I think all those guys are suddenly capable, and if you got two, maybe three capable guys in year one, um, that's I think that you, that's as much as you can ask for. Kind of pivoting a little bit to recruiting, um, you know, they in a very short amount of time polished off a top twenty-five class. They had a, a lot of ground to make up uh, after taking over in December and, and kind of going back and forth with UCF during the Peach Bowl. But um, I mean. W- what does the kind of the picture, I guess, look like recruiting-wise for Nebraska in, in 2019 and beyond? I mean, is that a program that you could see, you know, top top 15, top 25 class? I mean, what what's kind of the your, your opinion from an, an outsider's perspective on what Nebraska could do? That's a, I think that's a great question. I don't I don't know the answer to that. That that's sort of the the cop out. I really I really don't. I think it could look like a lot of different things. I think it could look like. Nebraska recruiting at sort of a Michigan State level where they're never a top 10, top 5 type of class, but they're bringing in the right guys and they develop walk-ons and they have the right culture in place and, and all those sort of things. Um, or, I mean, because look, th- there is a little bit of an unknown in terms of the staff and, and their ability to recruit sort of big game hunt because they did all come from UCF and, and there's not a lot of sort of pedigree there from on the recruiting trail. But... I think that that's possible that they suddenly start emerging as a top 10, top five program. I, look, the more likely to me scenario is probably the, the Michigan State scenario because I think typically we, you know, in most of these cases you see it you see it quickly if a team's going to be like, you know, landing five stars. Um, but again, that's not to say that that's a bad thing. Like that's not that's not necessarily the lesser of the two options. Um, I think what's 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 a gr- what's great about this staff is a they've got um, they first of all look Mike Riley developed some roots into into California they can continue to lean on those they've they've got a familiarity out there and out there has a familiarity with them because Scott Frost is just a couple years removed from Oregon um, they've they've obviously got great ties that have been built in the state of Florida those are two you know bi coastal like pipelines that they can lean on particularly to get spill skill and to get speed um but i think at the same time they're you know they're going to need to continue to 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 outwork people in the midwest and more more, you know in that sort of um closer to home that that radius around lincoln so there's a lot of reasons why this can work um but i'm not necessarily confident in sort of what it's going to look like and and i'm not necessarily going to predict top 10 top 5 top 15 classes i don't know i think it could i, I think it could abs- i could see that panning out in that way but um i i think in some ways it's it's almost me more realistic for me to to expect that this is going to be a a program that evaluates um differently uh and and evaluates character and personality and some way and sometimes those those evaluations don't always align with the rankings and so um again that's not a bad thing that's uh that's uh, it'll be fun to watch one last one for you you, you mentioned a, a couple of days ago i think i saw that you said that you thought the turnaround at, at nebraska could be a little bit faster th- than maybe what you know, outsiders or even what you thought initially uh, it would be there. You kind of mentioned some of the skill players on offense that you're pretty high on. Yeah. Um, I mean, wh- what is what is there on Nebraska's roster right now um, that maybe kind of has you excited about the potential uh, early on for that staff? Well, I, I think it's the – I mean, look, at we talked about the quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's a pretty big piece of the puzzle that's – Look, we don't need to. We shouldn't overreact to a spring game. So let's not say it's fallen into place, but let's say that it looks like that piece might fit. Uh, and if that piece is there, if that's not going to be a um, a governor on that offense, uh, but it's an accelerator on that offense, then okay. Now, hey, maybe you can activate a uh, a JD Spielman in that in that system. Maybe you can activate a, a uh, um, uh, what's my guy's name from Bishop Gorman. Tajon Lindsay in that system like those are guys 
that are phenomenal fits to 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 put in space. Um, you know, you've 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 got uh, a great outside receiver threat as well that you can lean on. You know, you've got a run a JUCO running back coming in that's a talented kid. Um, I just think I have I, I really like Lincoln Riley to me is the best offensive mind in college football right now. But I think Scott Frost is is a pretty pretty prominent guy in his own right on that front and I think he's going to be able to do some things and give his guys an opportunity um, that's that's going to be I think really exciting and so um, look there uh, that's that's not even mentioned defense and defense has got to hand, handle their side of the business I think everyone wants to talk about the offense but um, I look it, it boils down to my my sort of confidence in Scott Frost I, I just think he's going to have this team ready to, to exceed expectations. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what that looks like on a win-loss record, but um, I think it's going to be I, – I think Nebraska has a chance to be the type of team that has a chance to beat everyone on their schedule, and everyone on their schedule better, you know, buckle up when they're playing them. Um, so it, it'll, be, uh, it'll be fascinating, and I think it'll be fun. All right. Barton Simmons. Thanks for the time and uh, a little bit of off-season catnip for Nebraska fans there. Bruce, you have any additional thoughts after that conversation with Barton? Uh, it was it's interesting, you know. I, I Barton obviously a big fan of Scott Frost, and you could hear that. Um, and and that's when he kind of talks about kind of having that it factor. I, th I think that that's that sometimes helps you when you're trying to turn a program around mm -hmm. and. Um, you know the the national view of Nebraska. I think sometimes, and not just from, you know, our, our company. Not saying that Barton was this way, but it hasn't really been particularly uh, positive when you look out four yeah. or five years. So to to hear that, I, I was, uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that Barton is firmly aboard the Scott Frost train. Yeah, it feels like everybody, you know, when we were in Nashville and everywhere else that kind of falls to college football is there's a curiosity about Husker football that there just hasn't been in a long time. And it's not a certainty by any means that they're going to get it done. But I do think there's kind of this belief even outside the state that because of his track record, he's going to have success. It's just a matter of what level of success is that? Is that stop at Big Ten West or, you know, does it go all the way to the top? Yeah, well, it helps that you're talking about a guy that has always had success. Like, that's yeah. that's kind of the thing. Whether he was an assistant coach as an offensive coordinator, his quarterback won the Heisman. When he was a head coach in the second year, they won a fake national championship that's going to be debated for multiple years. I mean, it, it's it's always been successful. Brunts has changed his hat now where the bill is pointed to the side. I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, I don't know if it's a nervous tick. I really don't know what to make of it at all. I think Brian might try to sneak a photo here. So. No, 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 no. Keep going. But I, I just think that's where that national curiosity sort of comes from, is this guy just is successful at everything he does, so why wouldn't he be successful at Nebraska? I mean, it's sort of the, the viewpoint of it. And then that gets into what is successful at Nebraska in 2018 and then have that all back and forth. But I – I think it's a good sign. I mean, I think it's a good sign. You just you had so many people when it was Mike Riley as a head coach that were writing about how they just didn't think he would get it done, and it turns out he didn't in the three years that he was here. And now you have a bunch of people that are very curious to see how this goes. Yes. Yes? Yes. Thanks. That was a good summation. <laughs> P pivot again. All right. Well, we're going to pivot to Nebraska basketball where they hired a coach of their own, not the head coach, though. Who did they hire, Brunts? Well, they hired Armand Gates, a former North, longtime Northwestern assistant and very short amount of time Florida assistant. So walk us through what happened there as best you can because that has been somewhat I, – I still haven't figured out quite exactly – what happened? Was it is a Rashawn Burno situation? No, I think what happened was you've got this guy who's from Chicago, had success at Northwestern, um, goes to Florida, uh, gets a improvement in title, um, gets a raise, and gets there and figures out that the fit just wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Um, Didn't know, want those shorts? Didn't want those jean shorts? He wasn't comfortable with wearing shorts all the time, which are a requirement of being in Gainesville. 
so Do you think that's in the contract? Uh, I don't wear jorts once a week. I think it's very strongly encouraged, kind of like Hawaiian shirt day. Um, so he gets down there, figures out quick, very quickly that this is probably not what he had envisioned it was going to be. Um, and he had connections with Nebraska, Nebraska staff. Tim Miles had interviewed him right when Miles started at Nebraska for an assistant coaching job, and the timing just didn't work out there. Uh, He knew Michael Lewis from their time very briefly at uh, Loyola Chicago, bumped into him a few times on the, uh, the recruiting trail in in April and kind of, you know, said, Hey, you know, I'd I'd be interested in in talking. So, um, what you smirked weird. Yeah. The the situation's weird, but It, it is. Um, and yada, yada, yada. He gets hired at Nebraska. He's got great credentials. I mean, the, the time at Northwestern, obviously, being in the, the Big Ten footprint is good. Being around um, the coach at Northwestern, whose name Chris, Chris Collins. Collins. I could not think of it for a second. I, I mean, I was impressed when that was a name that, that came out. I haven't always said that about the hires that Tim Miles has chosen to make in recent years. No, I, I mean, the Chicago ties are huge. He's a, a Brewster Academy alum, which, you know, has produced Isaac Copeland and Thomas Allen. Um, he's recruited well in, in the Big Ten footprint. And, I mean, Northwestern, based on academic issues and, and things that they have to recruit around, uh, he's recruited more nationally, too. And you go back to the Northwestern team that made the NCAA tournament that the, the Big Ten Network did documentaries on and lauded for years um armand gates was a big part of the the recruiting effort that brought those guys in um so you know he's been around a program that that needs to be built and knows what goes into that and he's also been around a program at northwestern that took a big step back after they had success so uh, i think having somebody on staff with that experience at nebraska now with you know, coming off a 22-win season and needing to have a, a good follow-up to that, you know, that experience helps. Do you think that his, and this is a really probably difficult question to answer, but do you think that his recruiting style is at all, does that change the way that Nebraska maybe recruits going forward? Because with Kenya Hunter, I mean, he was kind of your guy at picking off James Palmer and Andrew White. And those guys from out east that needed to transfer, I mean, that's where Nebraska's bread and butter has been. I still think Nebraska's going to do that regardless of who it – I mean, you have to. But now it wouldn't be as geographically confined to the east coast. Right. I mean, you you go where you have connections. um, That'll change for sure. But – you know, I I think Nebraska's always going to be involved in the the, uh, transfer game. And, you know, with, you know, Armand Gates now, it probably just changes where, where they look based on, you know, versus where they were when Kenya Hunter was there. All right. Well, we will finish up the podcast with this. What, you, you have more you want to say? You want to talk James Palmer and Isaac Copeland or no? We don't have any new news. There's some news. What news? They're going through NBA workouts. Tim Miles thinks there's a strong chance that they both return. That's, How is that news? That's, that's, the, that's the conversation of the offseason okay. more so, I think, than even Armand Gates. Well, I, I, it just felt like, I mean, they didn't announce that they're back. We knew that they would be working. I guess we didn't know specifically that it would be which teams that they would be working out with. Uh, but Miles feels like they're going to be back with the team. That's what he says. That's, he, he says it's 50-50 to him, but he thinks that they're going to be back. <laughs> this is a very non-answer. It was. That is an incredible non-answer. But I mean, it's it's kind of what we've discussed, though. Where right. I think that that's why I glossed over. Right. You've got these. Both of these guys have gotten late second round valuations from the NBA. They're basically have to make a decision about whether they want to come back for another year or if they want to try to, you know, go the G League route or go to Latvia and play for. Small amount of money. He had a pretty um, good G League quote, didn't he? He said that those guys weren't dying to play in the G League yeah. or something like that. That's a hard life, like year to year. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, uh, it's, I'm, it's the G League not as the, posh as being an NBA. Player. The G League to me is kind of like the Web dot com tour where guys are scoring like thirty a night, and like you wouldn't even like bat an eye at at 
that kind of a stat line. Do you? I would assume that the G League makes more on average than the Web.com tour players do. But I mean, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, like, I get you. You got to shoot like sixty-two, right, to yeah. even like make the cut. Web.com. That's insane. <laughs> All right, now we will get to what will be the big finish for the show, Brian. I've got one. <clears throat> it's from Big Daddy Kane. You know Big Daddy Kane's work? I don't. I'm not going to pretend I, I don't, I don't, with it. I don't either. I'm just going to turn my hat around. We are to a backwards, slightly tilted to the right hat. All right, go. That's fitting for Big Daddy Kane. I won't say I'm the baddest or portray that role, but I'm in the top two, and my father's getting old. Think about it. Man. Man. If you could walk with that swagger that Big Daddy Kane does throughout your day today, think of where you'll be when you put your head down tonight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those are some inspiring words. Go get it. Football, recruiting, inspiration. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's finish on this, though. Wait, you didn't want to finish with Big no, Daddy Kane? No, I, I just thought of something because we, we covered everything else. Big Daddy Kane made me think of this. Yeah. Nebraska's <laughs> chance of getting the eight seed in the Big Ten tournament, where is it sitting right now? Better than I thought last week. Yeah, they won two games. They won two games. I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a pileup for that eighth spot. It's, it's They're going to need some help, but I think I think they uh, – They've got a chance to sneak in. They're more of a chance than I thought they did. Yeah, they're they're actually playing some decent baseball now. I've I've noticed though the, the loss to Creighton last night didn't help, at least in terms of the in-state discussion. But they have been playing better. They have. They've been hitting. The young guys have been uh, Hellstrom, Hallmark, uh, Henwood, who suddenly has power. Who knew? Um, have all been hitting pretty well. So that's a, a positive sign going into. Right, Indiana baseball. How many do they have to win, you think, to get it? I think they probably got to go four and two over the last six to feel decent. They but go the teams three they play are right in front of them, so it works out pretty well, right? But if, if Nebraska were somehow able to sweep Indiana, who was ranked last week, they would pass them in the Big Ten Conference standings. So Maryland's right there. Michigan State's got a pretty tough road. Rutgers is there. So it, it's basically those teams. Um, competing for seven and eight. See, that's ending the show on some positivity right there. I look forward to you going back on Twitter and dusting it up about Nebraska baseball. I've spent enough time today on Twitter and on Twitter talking about Nebraska baseball, so I will let that die. But if you want to talk more about Nebraska baseball with me, you can do so at Nebraska.247sports.com, or you can discuss recruiting, or you can discuss Armand Gates, or you can discuss... Whatever you want Top to discuss. I mean, it's a message board, people. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, we've got stadiums discussions. There's been food talk. I mean, all of this. Everything you need. You don't have to go to Twitter. You can go to Nebraska.247sports.com. Plus, there's great content. We'll have more recruiting here this week. As it goes, Jermaine Johnson, a defensive end from Independence Community College, coming up this weekend. Big Miles Jones story coming. Yeah, Miles Jones story. We got that. Brunts, do you, do you have anything? Yeah. Do you? Tons what about stuff. you, Brunts? <laughs> Baseball. Oh, Brunts has baseball. We got baseball. And we'll even review the 200 offers that Nebraska sent out in the last 48 hours. Yeah, I think there are over 500 offers between the next two classes, so that's fun. Yeah. All right, well, we'll catch you next week with the Nebraska 24-7 podcast.